Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. My friends are gone and my hair is grey. I ache in the places where I used to play and I'm crazy for love, but I'm not coming on. I'm just paying my rent every day in the Tower of Song. Welcome to Radix Australia Community Radio 3CR, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. This program is podcast. If you get called away, nature calls, you've got a weak bladder, you've got diarrhea, Asia knocks on the door, the sheriff is there, relax, <laughs> it is podcast. Dale does all the podcasts. You're right, Royal Highness, the Empress Dale Bridge. How art thou? I'm, I'm here. Excuse me, what do you mean you're here? <laughs> well, that, that'll do for now. Uh, well, yeah, you should never ask somebody how they are, because they could actually tell you, especially exactly. live to where it's... <laughs> after our discussion last week, it's not something that I want to do, really, is it? I, I did make a mistake there. Now, we've got, uh, we've got a young man here today, relatively young, to be uh, interviewed, Mr Robert Phelps. How are you? Good afternoon, John. John? I'll have to call you Joseph. Bob. I'll have to call you That's Bob. better. <laughs> right. <laughs> Now, Bob, you know the rules. You've listened to a friend of yours being interviewed in the past. It's very simple. No notes. Turn them over. You don't need notes. You're an intelligent man with a huge range of experience. If you've got dementia, we have interviewed people with dementia, and they didn't even use notes. Wow. (laughs) Now, Robert, two questions. You've got 55 minutes. Now, I did ask you this. Do you play a musical instrument? I don't. Do you sing? Not anymore. Not anymore. What do you mean you don't sing anymore? You used to sing, did you? You used to sing in the shower. Oh, right. <laughs> no, well, uh, see, we have no ads. We have no community announcements. We have no music. But we do make one allowance. If you've got a talent, mm-hmm. which obviously you haven't, you're like me, talentless as far as music is concerned, we allow you to sing. Oh, okay. So. I, I, did, I did sing, actually, now I'm reminded, because you want to hear about the young days, don't you? Yeah, we were going to hear about that. In, in the corner church, yeah, actually, we, we as a ma- soloist when I was really? about eight years old. Well, but then it. I got very yeah. balky about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. You may be surprised what I can say. a non-believer. Oh, please, <laughs> we're all non-believers here. I don't believe in the society I live in. Now, first question, just to orientate listeners, nothing personal, what year were you born in? Well, I won't give you the year exactly, oh, but I'll say, on, I'll, say, I'll say that I was born in the shadow of the atomic bombs. How about that? Which atomic bombs? <laughs> was it the French <laughs> testing? Was it the, the Nagasaki and Hiroshima business? No. So that makes you in your late 60s, early 70s. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I just find this extraordinary. These old people don't want to tell them when they were born. And the second question, you've got 55 minutes to answer, is, and obviously you've been giving this a great deal of thought because you've listened to the program, what's your earliest memory? Well, it's of nature. We nature. lived in the bush near, yeah. near yeah. Wellington Harbour in New Zealand. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, yeah, the harbour and the that doesn't tell me anything. The bush. What do you remember? What do I specifically? Remember? What's the first thing you think you can? I remember young lovers walking up through the bush when I was about probably three or something really? like that. Young yes. lovers, yes. what was happening? Walking up into the bush, no idea. No idea. I was only three years old. <laughs> there were people but I was curious. <laughs> like people would walk into the bush holding hands. Yeah, something like that. Mm. We, there was, we had a walking track past yeah. the house, yeah. yeah well, this, 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 I've had a lot of interesting first memories. That's the first one I've had of young lovers mm. walking up the track and a young three-year-old perving on them. That's, that's <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> Where, were you, where were you born? In New Zealand. New Zealand. Yes, okay. in the Wairarapa, Masterton. Where's mm. that? It's over the hill from Wellington. If you go sort oh, of right. northeast, yeah. you go these days through the train tunnel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but in those days, you went over the hill to the Wairarapa. Right. Mm. And uh, where do your parents come from? From New Zealand. New Zealand. Zealand. And their parents? Yeah. Did you got much idea of family ah, history? Or? Not huge. Not um, huge. Oh. They could have been Kiwis too, I think. But right. I think it was the generation before them who were from Ireland and... Right. Around the place. So from Ireland originally? I believe so, yeah. Right. yeah. Not brought it. Did New Zealand didn't have convicts, did they? I don't think they no. did. No, no, no. no. Three. You didn't have no, the stain on your soul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh well, they, they had uh, Edward Gibbon Wakefield and various other people who yeah. bought the land yes. under the treaty from uh, yeah. the yeah. First yeah. Nations people yeah. there. Yeah. So, what was, what was your dad's name? Reg. Reg. What was he like? Like, he was a frugal sort of guy, and his frugality rubbed off, so that was good. Mm -hmm. He always railed against the banks and the banking system. He'd worked for 15 bob a week in the Great Depression, and that was what he really, really remembered Mm. most, I think. And uh, yeah, the banks, the institutions uh, had, you know, done them over. What was he like? Was he a traditional father that that period? Or we all had that traditional Pretty father? Pretty remote, really, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. He'd been a farm boy. His family were farmers up in the mm. Taronga mm. area. Mm-hmm. And your mum, what was her name? Reen. I assume they're not alive? No. I did make a mistake all. once of telling a 70-year-old <laughs> that on this program that her parents were dead. She said, no, my mother's still alive. That's right, it can happen. I've it got a happen. mate, I'll go to visit him this afternoon, actually, who's 96, Les 96. Dalton, who used to be on Euro- the Uranium Collective up oh, here at FOE. Uh, 96? Yeah. Still going? Still going. Yeah. Lives at home? No, no, he's yeah. in, uh, in Rathdown Place. Rathdown Place. Mm. So what That's was mum like? Okay. What was her name again? Reen. And what, 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 what was she like? What was she like as a mum? Uh, she was she was good mum, mm-hmm. yeah. And yeah. my two sisters, uh, younger sisters, right. the three of us did well. We all went. We all ended up ended up going to university under the no, no, free university that. and all that, you know. So no, 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 we, we were yet. primed to yeah. have Bob, a, have good Bob, lives. Bob, 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 Bob. <laughs> nothing personal, but things happen between three when you're pervy on young lovers going to the bush and going to university <laughs> at eighteen or nineteen. Then okay. we, we need we've got 50, we had fifty five minutes to begin with, and we need really to. Develop this interview. I know you okay. want to talk about something, but that'll come at the end. You know, this is not a traditional ABC interview, okay? Mm-hmm. Where you're coming to flog something, all right? It doesn't work this way. We're actually interested in you. All right. This is three cops and rascals, isn't it? Yeah, is that what that's it is? right. <laughs> We're interested in you, all right? <laughs> all right. So, um, did you go to school as a young lad? I did go to school, yes. Where'd you go? 
let's see, I first, we had our first house in Days Bay, which was a, quite a remote community mm-hmm. in the bush mm-hmm. around the backside of Wellington Harbour. And then, uh, uh, so I went to the local school at Eastbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, did my first acts of defiance then. And acts of defiance acts in primary defiance. school? Mm. What did you do? My first year. In what, in grade one? <laughs> or prep? Well, I remember we had a tug of war once and I got uh, I was on the end uh-huh. holding the rope and I foolishly put it round my waist and Ooh. I remember being dragged along the uh-huh. uh, concrete when all my uh, team let go. Yes. <laughs> so that was one of my... Is that defiant? That doesn't sound like more you're a victim. <laughs> well, we also had the, the famous um, uh, school dental nurses. Oh, yes, I remember them. Look at my teeth. Ah, yeah, yeah, same yeah, here, yeah, same here. Yeah. Yeah. And Free I remember, I remember not wanting to go yeah, yeah. and uh, stopping at the edge of the street and refusing, but I was uh, dragged and yeah, yeah. Uh, next remember waking up at home. Yeah, there's none of this modicoddling those days. If you had to, if you had to those drills, teeth, weren't yeah. they murder? Yeah, if you had to have the teeth done, you hadn't those done Those slow ones. You know, and if you got, you got whacked, you got whacked. <laughs> so what type of kids were you with in primary school? You got much? Were they the local well, kids? Well, we moved kids? when I was six to yeah. Lower Hutt, so right. well, it was how, different. How was it different? Oh, well, it was suburban, you know, suburban, I mean, you know no. a bit more. So you had a mixture yeah. of uh, Indigenous and non-Indigenous kids in the school, or just no, no. Although interestingly, my partner, who's Jewish, mm-hmm. asked me some time ago, mm-hmm. oh, "Were there any Jewish kids? Did you ever know any Jewish families?" Mm-hmm. And I thought about it, and of course, the brightest kid in our class was Roger Nietzsche. Right. It never occurred to me before. No. But when I looked him up, of course, um, mm-hmm. he was professor of um, anthropology at Auckland Uni. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, unfortunately, predeceased us, no. sadly, as a young youngish guy no. you know, in his sixties. Mm. But yeah, that? so that was that was interesting. But no, we weren't. We must have been somewhat diverse, but certainly um, there would have been Maori kids, I'm sure. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah but but uh, right. did you excel at anything in primary school? Excel, excel. Well, you're a, a runner, a jumper, <laughs> oh, a, a oh, nerd. No. <laughs> I don't know. I managed to maintain my place in that top group of boys, oh, of course. That's good. Was it a boys' school? Was it? Was no, it no, it was co-ed. But uh, I think there was only one of the girls who, at that stage, was allowed to show any to excel. You know, it was right. those those sort of days. Mm, mm. Um, mm. Yeah, uh, sounds pretty boring. So, how old were you when you left primary school? About twelve, thirteen, probably around twelve or something. Yeah. I suppose. Where did you go then? Went to Hut High. Hut High. Yeah, Public school? Yeah, yeah. Right, what was that like? Awful. <laughs> awful. Why was it awful? I just did, I didn't like being an institution, really. Well, uh, yeah. you know, just it's a high school, it's not an institution. <laughs> oh, what was going on? I remember the deputy head, of course, was Muscle Smith, who could <laughs> wield, wield a pretty good cane when he wanted to. I assume he's dead. We don't want to defame him. On I don't head. know. <laughs> the good old so. Muscle Smith. Well, there's a lot of Smiths. But not many at the deputy head of Hutt Primary. Well, it's not defaming if you call him muscles. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, well, in those days, everybody mm. kind of wielded the cane. Did you, did you get the cane? I got threatened. Threatened. I, I would wear uh, um, T-shirts instead of singlets, and they would show above the collar of your shirt, and so you were in strife, you know. I can imagine. Yeah, but keeping warm in New Zealand, and you can imagine it, and then 
wearing shorts in the winter, etc. Well, it was a bit yeah. gruesome, and I wanted to not yeah. conform, really. Yeah, I'm a few years younger than you, not very much younger. And I remember at our high school, at assembly, one of the teachers would come around with a ruler and measure the girls' skirts to see oh, whether they were at the regulation length above or below the knee. This was in the, oh, the 60s, mid-60s. That would have been those days. Same thing at your high school, you reckon? I can't recall precisely, no, but yes. No, yeah. it, was, it was a great attraction for all the boys. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> See, it was going to come a cropper that day. Yeah. So, and women, uh, women teachers were treated mercilessly, of course. To, you know. Well, they shouldn't have been there, should they? <laughs> they shouldn't have been at home with the kids. <laughs> so you graduated, I assume. I did. Did yeah. you excel at anything, once again, I ask? Not really. Well, was anything caught your fancy in? High schools. Well, uh, in my first year, I was in the top stream and doing French and Latin and things, which I which I didn't excel at. Mm. I was an abysmal failure at those. Mm. So I opted to sort of go into somewhere else Mm -hmm. and do history and geography and various things in which politics somewhat intruded too. So that was a useful. More useful sort of thing to do. Politics in the sixties. Well, some discussion about. Yeah, you know, public issues and so no. on. Yeah. No, Vietnam was later. Later. Right. Yeah. So you went to what university? 50s. I was what university? Victoria University of Wellington. But oh. I went as a mature age student. On. I did a bit of work in between. Oh. And so how old were you left high school? Oh, about 17, I think. 17. And what, mm. what drove you to work? Because you had to or there was financial issues in the family? No, no, no. You just felt that was it? That was it. I, I remember I'm, I sometimes have those moments, you know, when I thought I can't bear this any longer. Right. I've got to leave. Right. <laughs> you know, because there you was... Can do the, it, you can do it during the interview if you wish. Okay. There was the extra year for the preparatory university time. An extra year? Yeah, you had an extra... A fifth year of high school. Oh, right. So after you'd done your... Mm-hmm. What did we do? We did high school certificate in the third year. Then we had our university entrance, and most everybody passed that was accredited, so right. on the basis of your year's work, you would be accredited your university entrance. But then those who were seriously going to university, because I think at that stage it probably wasn't free, which it subsequently became when right. all the masses like me went along and got a university education as well. Mm-hmm. They so the ones who were sort of the elite who were going to go on, would do an extra year of high school and then sort of so go you seamless. Balked, in uni- you balked to do an extra year? I did. I'd had enough. What Out of here. What, go work on the farm or something? <laughs> no, no. I went and worked in a department store, actually, oh, as a no. management trainee. That was pretty gruesome as well. well for a couple Wellington, of years. In and Wellington? I'd, yeah, I worked in hospitality uh, in Wellington. It must be difficult to be nice things. to people in hospitality, <laughs> especially when they're drunk. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, I did that. It Saved up for my first car. And what was, was that? A prefect, I think. Oh, wow. Remember those? Hal, do you remember the prefects? Do you remember the prefects? Ford, Ford prefect, prefect from uh, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. So that's how I'm familiar with the model. No, we actually had the real thing. You know? mm. That's how old we are, Dale. <laughs> right. no, it was real, all right. It was real, all right. <laughs> <laughs> what, gears on the floor and... You know, you had to kick the door closed, mm. and you didn't. You didn't think about taking it up in those laneways. You saw it as a three-year-old, did you? 
in the bush. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. Well, exactly. you're at that age, you know. It wasn't an SUV by any means. It no. <laughs> right, a bit cramped. <laughs> All right, so you, you lasted two years as a manager trainee, and yeah, what did you do yeah. then? Oh, just a bit of this and that. Just drifted. Yeah. At one point, I um, actually opened a second-hand store. My dad had been a second-hand dealer right, right. Uh, on and off and various yeah. things, so I did that for a while and actually financed my university career out of that. Right. So the, you, were, you were the son and he was steptoe? A little bit like that. Yeah, yeah. Right. But it, was, what did he, what did he it came of? out of this recycling thing and frugality and reju- reusing and reducing and recycling. Right, right, right. I think we were early, early adherents of that yeah, kind of ethic. You know? I think you're adherents of survival. Yeah. yeah. What did your dad think about you following his footsteps? Was he disappointed? No, not at no, all. No, no. no. We, we were good mates and we yeah. did, did that together fine. Yeah. And, uh, right. and then I started university while we were still step-toeing together. Yeah, so that was right, right. doing that, the three-step. What's that business like? What's it like? Well, it's disappeared really now with yeah. the op shops and things, yeah. you know, all yeah. doing that. There's hardly any remaining. No. But we used to go to auctions and pick up cheap gear and mm. go around on Saturday morning buying and yeah. uh, fix the stuff up and yeah. put it in the shop. And, yeah, so we're in a, in a working class kind of area. A lot of, um, in fact, I, um, one thing I did at that time, which I still recollect very fondly, was that the meatworks were there, and um, a lot of Fiji and Indian Indians, especially, came, and uh, they were always interested in buying treadle sewing machines. Right. And of course, they were all being dumped. Yeah. And um, so, uh, I remember particularly one time going to Island Bay, which was right on the other side of Wellington. And they had about 50 treadle sewing machines that had been donated as fundraisers. So I bought the lot (laughs) and took them back. And then I would, um, you know, demonstrate them, wrap them up, and I would take them to the ship Mm -hmm. and send them to Fiji. So, in fact, I sent several hundred treadle sewing machines to Fiji. Which financed your university degree. Did that. I mean, I kept the price pretty reasonable, I thought, because it was... It was part of the ethic, mm-hmm. and these guys, presumably back home, had their women use, folk doing did, sewing. Did you just use the E early. word? <laughs> Which was that? You just used the E, e word. word. Ethics. Ethics. How old were you? I don't know. What, 20? Early 20s when all this was 20s, happening? 20s, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not, not a word you normally hear. Uh, you know, somebody who's 20 thinking ethically in terms of making a buck and dealing with other people. What, what, what well, the hell happened to you that you were thinking ethically and you were reusing and something must have happened. What happened between when you left I high school a, and, you know? It's a lifelong thing, really. I mean, it's coming home to roost now. You see in the last day or two that the island in the centre of the Pacific is absolutely covered in plastic, you know. Mm, mm. Uh, I just think the throw... I've I've been yeah, but why? an opponent well, well, I understand, of the, I understand of the throwaway I, I, I society I forever, that, you know. You know, but this this program is really <laughs> about trying to get people to understand where radical thought comes from. So, so that's what, radical, is it? Is it? I mean, well, it is for a twenty-year-old, fifty years mm-hmm. or forty-five years ago, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, these these are things you don't you don't usually have ethical considerations. So there must have been something in your upbringing. Well, we always had the garden, so that was part of that nature thing, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we always the all of the back garden was a garden, you know, mm-hmm. there was no lawn, mm-hmm. and we grew 
most of what we ate. Um, so that was a thing. And we had the chooks. Mm. But what, why wouldn't you exploit the these, these Indian Fijian, you know, scum that had come across to make a buck, you know, taking New Zealanders' jobs? <laughs> uh, I mean, no, they weren't. I mean, they I understand were, that. I understand yeah, that. Yeah, I've been facetious. Yeah. But, but, mm-hmm. but look, you're in business. And in business, you need to make a profit. Yeah, and my and shop the, was down near the meat works and yeah, these yeah. guys needed sewing machines. machines They'd yeah. come in and sit around and have a talk about what it was like back yeah. home. And yeah. So they're all pretty lonely, yeah. blokes on their own, yeah. well, come could, down for six months. Mm. You could and, just have had dollar yeah. signs in your eye because you could have asked for whatever you wanted. Oh, not really. I also did deal with the, um, the Singer sewing machine guy up the street. Mm. Um, he had his stock of uh, second-hand machines and... He would sell his as well, mm-hmm. and um, they were a bit more salubrious and so on. Mm. But then I would pick his lot up with mine and send them off mm. on on the ships. So that was so you felt a thing. We, it was a project. Projects. I always like projects. Projects. Okay. <laughs> well, France, building a nuclear bomb is a project. Yeah, sure. All right. So uh, if ethics was important as a young man. I think so. I think behaving ethically, fairness, fairness, yeah. really, which right. is an Australian, supposed to be an Australian characteristic. No, we stole that from the New Zealanders. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to. Run. <laughs> all right. So, what made you decide to go to university? Well, I did actually go straight out of school, more or less, for a year, mm. and it was a disaster. My uncle was an accountant, and my mm. parents, I think, thought, well. Be an accountant, you know, it's always a good meal ticket. <laughs> it was an absolute disaster, you know, accounting and commercial law. And I'd, I'd also had a taste of it in high school, and I mean, I just sort of somehow drifted into that, but it was a hopeless failure. So I, I had my f- six years off, or five or six years, mm. and went back and did philosophy, psychology, and sociology. Yeah. Which was a bit more yeah. my, like my, my style, I think. I hate to say this, Bob. You actually do look like an accountant. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> Sorry. You never judge a book <laughs> cover. But I'd, I'd be relaxed giving you my tax. T- <laughs> you know. I don't know. But, so, again, this there's Thanks, a huge Joe. change. That's huge. a big build-up. <laughs> no, no, huge. Well, I trust you. I see. That is a big build-up. I mean, here we it's are. It's misplaced. Well, no. <laughs> Well, that's right. You never know what's causing a human being's brain. Well, that'll learn you for judging a book by itself. Exactly, yeah. I mean, uh, maybe he's been deregistered as an accountant. <laughs> now, six years. These are formative years. You go in as an accountant, you go in and do philosophy, history. What's, mm. what's happened in these six years? This must have been a very important period in your life. Well, the free education came. That was one thing. So, mm. you know, a whole lot more people could do it. Mm. Um, so it was it was more affordable because I'd failed. I had to pay for the first year, but that was okay. It was pretty. Yeah, but why those subjects? It's, it's a total. Oh, I see. Well, I wanted to live in the realm of ideas. That was it. Um, why? You're a practical man. You're running a second-hand store. You're taking single sewing machines down to the, helping to load them on the ships. Yes, that, but that's that was part of the bigger idea as well, too. You know, I mean. It was just that was a way of going and just learning and growing up, you know. Mm. But there is a huge transformation in those five or six years, Mm. which really kind of set you on that course, didn't it? 
Well, it was later, actually. I mean, it was the university experience that really did it because I, I entered politics mm. in university mm. like mm. so many people do, it seems. Mm. I, I hate that word, experience. I just got an SMS from a bank saying, how did you enjoy your experience? Oh, right. I, just, <laughs> I, just pay, I just paid some money to a credit card. You're telling me the university experience. What yeah. was your university experience? They reached out to you about your experience, did <laughs> Exactly, they? yeah. So oh. what, how was your university experience? What happened? Well, the Vietnam War was on, so that was the very first thing I discovered, you know. Mm. I mean, I mm. must have been aware of it, but um, uh, so I entered into that. Did um, they have a conscription in New Zealand? Or they was did. They, they did, did. by well, birthday. By birthday. Again, it was yeah. a ballot again. Yeah, it was a exactly ballot. Exactly the same as Australia. Yeah, and I missed, I missed the birthday thing, so I didn't mm. have to refuse, which mm. was... Mm. My uncle, Bob, had been a conscientious objector in the Second World War. Right. which was a, an unusual, unusual thing to be in the mm-hmm. Second World War, refused to pick up the gun and then disappeared presumably to Australia mm. and wasn't found by the family again, which was one of the things that grieved my father all his life. You could tell that he missed his big brother. So you never found him? No. Have you, have, have, have you ever looked? I haven't personally looked. Look right. No, but he right. was looking a lot of the time. Mm. That's interesting. Mm. That's unusual. But, so yeah, they were um, they weren't about to fight for the empire, right? Yeah. So I was I was aware of that and thought of him as my favourite uncle, even though I never knew him. Well, you never met him? No, no, of course no. not. He was long gone no, before I came, came on the scene. That's right. Yeah. yeah. But but the family talked. I'm saying the family talked. My dad about talked him. about him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what did you think about him being a conscientious objector? I thought it was a damn good thing. What did your dad think? Oh well. I couldn't be sure about that, really, right. but he did care about him having gone missing mm. and mm. wanted to know what had happened and where he was and that he was doing okay, you know. Did you actually complete university? I did, yes. Oh, what did we get, a doctorate of law or something? No, like? nothing like that. <laughs> nothing so grand. In fact, um, my mentor on the university did want me to kick on with psychology, but uh-huh. really I was not academic material. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I could see there were a couple of guys who were teaching there who'd got their doctorates and I thought, gee, if I'm going to end up like them What's the point? <laughs> mediocre uh, uh, you know, mediocre as teachers and researchers mm-hmm. So, so no. what, what did you graduate with? Uh, an honours degree in psychology and I, mm-hmm. my undergraduate degree was in sociology and psychology. So did you uh, when you left university did you practice psychology? No I didn't. Why not? I became a postie <laughs> I'd done po- I'd, 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 I'd worked as a postie one of my um, holidays, mm-hmm. so it was a thing to do just to wonder where am I going next. So Bicycle, did that for motorbike, a walking, walking yeah. in Wellington, in Wellington uphills, twelve <laughs> kilometres a day. Yeah. It was yeah. gruesome, like yeah. precipitous climbs. It is, I know. I mean, I've been to Wellington. <laughs> I'm thinking of it. I'm thinking. Oh man, yeah. And you know what the weather's like as well. So I did that for a year before I came to Australia. In 72, I came over. Now, I don't understand this, Bob. You know, you run a, a second-hand store, which is quite mm. successful. You decide five or six years down the track to go to university. You slog your brain out and you get a degree, an honours degree. So obviously you did I worked well. in the university too yeah. as, a, as a laboratory demonstrator looking <laughs> after the rats and so on. Oh, yeah. It was a... Um, a behaviourist school, yeah, so yeah, it was Skinner boxes yeah, and all well, that, that sort that, of that, stuff. That's kind of a euphemism, looking after the rats, isn't it? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, they, they I'd slip them a bit of water, actually, which would ruin the experiments <laughs> and things, actually. <laughs> right. 
and then, and then Still got a soft spot for and animals. Then, and then you go and work as a poster. Well, just for, just for a year to get a bit of money together and think about my, my idea of going to China, which is where I was headed when I came to Australia. You were headed for China, and you came to Australia in 72. On the way, yeah. This is just before or after the Whitlam government was elected? Well, actually, I was here for the election, and the I election. saw Whitlam in Brisbane. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. With the crowds out in the... Yes. Yeah. It was quite an exciting time. Oh, it was. Very exciting. Yeah, it was a young bloke. And <laughs> what happened to the China trip? Well, I did that later, actually. All right. So, but you didn't do it in 72? No, I didn't get there then. I got stuck in Brisbane and got engaged with Bjorki Peterson and uranium campaigning and yeah. Ran, the, yeah. ran the Conservation Council there for a year and a half. Why did you bother do that? Why did you do that? You'd be just worse as a post, you know, you turn up in Brisbane <laughs> and work in the uranium camp. Have you done any stuff about uranium before? Well, I was aware of it while mm. I was in uni. I, yeah, it was one of the things that was niggling at me, you could say. Right. But um, I first got invited to, because Whitlam gave money for environment centres. That's right. So I was hired as the first coordinator of the environment centre in Brisbane. Was that in West End or...? Um, no, it was actually, um, our very first place was by the campus in St. Lucia. St. Lucia. Yeah, a very old, a very old house which I did up a bit. And then the flood came. 74, the big flood. That's right, the big flood and, uh, and, uh, Mm. came up Mm. this high in the, in the place. So, yeah. I know, you know how I know. (laughs) You were there. I was in the floods. I I'm sure I came to the Environment Centre at some stage. Right. I was at we moved into town. St. Lucia, 71, 72. Oh, were you? Yeah, so oh, we right. would have gone there. We, right. you, know, you see, there's an anniversary coming up. The, all the activists in Brisbane are wanting to celebrate the 50 years of the first demonstrations under Nicklin, mm. and then there's the other group that mm. uh, Bjorki mm. Peterson's mob, like me, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, trailing along as well, the 40th anniversary. Yeah, Dan O'Neill. And yeah. He's down, he's still alive. Oh, he's around. He must be 80. Yeah. Probably something like that, yeah. yeah. And, and, and the others, the, we've got a little group going at the little email yeah. conversation oh, going at the moment. Nice. Larry Zetlin. Oh, Remember Larry? Yeah, it's nice to have this email conversation. <laughs> I do, I do remember, I do remember the floods. Yeah. I was mm-hmm. living, I must have been 74, I would have been a 50-year medical student, that's right. Mm-hmm. Now it was 72 the floods, not 74. It was pretty soon after I got there, yeah, it wasn't long, 72, it was 72, was it? 72, yeah. 72. And I remember I was living in a room above a pub. Oh, yeah. <laughs> next to the Brisbane River. Oh, right. And, yeah, yeah. And, but first floor, not downstairs. Mm-mm. And about three o'clock, the woman I was um, with kind of nudged me and said, Joe, I can hear something. Because I, <laughs> I was about, must have been 20, 21. Mm-hmm. I said, what are you being? You're going nuts. <laughs> I can't hear anything. She said, oh, I can hear something. The water lapping, was it? Oh, so I got <laughs> out of the bed. <laughs> water came up to my knees. And this is the first <laughs> floor because we were right yeah. next to the river. Uh-huh. Right. So we said, hmm, this isn't So French good. and Old Drive. No, that's right. That, yeah. uh, no, that was the one that went to St. Lucia, St. wasn't it? Yeah. And uh, we said, this is was... not very pleasant. So we kind of put our head outside the windows going, help, help. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a movie and this little rowboat came along and we jumped mm. in the rowboat and off we went. It's just hilarious. I actually got a photo when we actually got the... So, the floods were amazing. They were. So they destroyed mm-hmm. your environment centre. 
Well, they didn't actually destroy it, but um, we moved anyway into yeah. town. Some lawyers offered us their back room, and right, then we right. went later on to um, into the church premises on yep. the side of King George Square. Right. Now, how long then, were you there for? Well, oh, well, I was there until 1980. I, 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 you did eight years in Brisbane? Yeah, I, I was there from 72 to 80, yeah, mm. and then went to Asia. But I'd actually been in the meantime, which sort of stirred up my interest even went with the Brisbane Girls Grammar School. Yes. They'd organised a trip and they mm-hmm. ran short of people because the Chinese uh, government gave them a very late notice of approval. And mm-hmm. So they mm-hmm. swept up all the odd bods Boss. like me who right. had an interest in China and wanted to get there and this was a way of going with the kids, this with the high a, school kids. This was in 1980? Uh, no, this was earlier, 76, I 76. think it was, 60, oh, 77, just after Mao had died. Yeah. Yeah. So. So um, how, how did how did that go? Yeah, that was a very interesting little trip, you know, um, being yeah. being squired around. Yep. Yep. And then when I got burnt out after the head banging with Bjorki Peterson for eight years, mm-hmm. um, I went and lived in Taiwan for three years and Where? learned learned Taiwan. Taiwan. Yeah, and learned a bit of Mandarin and taught English. But why just would go, to, why would you go to Taiwan? My partner of the time was interested in, oh, right, in, right, in right, that right. as well, and she'd graduated from right. Griffith Uni, so yeah, we yeah. went off to Taiwan. Did, did you meet the indigenous people in Taiwan? There's only about 1% left. Uh, yeah, that's right. They're mostly up in the hills in remote places. Yeah, it's quite interesting, isn't it? In 49, when the Kumatang came across, they just slaughtered them all. Well, particularly also the um, uh, other Chinese leadership was yeah. taken down to the race course and done as well. That's yeah. right. Yeah, all yeah. The people don't understand that. that. And okay. while we were there, of course, um, the political opposition were on um, Green Island mm-hmm. being looked after. That's right, looked after <laughs> gently, <laughs> yeah. gently. So uh, it was all that, yeah. So, so that was a bit of time, you know, recovering from the uh, from so the how much time campaign spend, burnout. How much time did you spend in Asia? Three years, yeah, and, and, and going back. around, travelling and, yeah, yeah. you know, spending time there and there. And then what, you came back to um, Australia? Came back, and I'd been running the campaign against nuclear power before I left, mm-hmm. uh, which had been formed in 75, so I did that for the five years after the Conservation Foundation, but in the same context. Right, right. I was sharing offices with them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, when I came back, I got employed by the ACF. Yep. Um, in Sydney to do anti-uranium campaigning. Mm-hmm. So why was the uranium, anti-uranium movement so um, so vibrant in those days? Oh, well, there's the threat of nuclear holocaust and nuclear winter, which still exists. Of course, we're actually in a more dangerous situation now than we were then. Yeah, but it doesn't seem to be much interest now, does there? Well, I wouldn't say that. ICANN, the International Campaign Against Nuclear Weapons, mm-hmm. and MAPW, Medical Association for Prevention of War, are very busy on this. And Mm -hmm. as a result of their proposal, um, 123 or 424 countries met for a week last month uh, because the non-proliferation treaty hasn't worked. Mm -hmm. Uh, The nuclear powers that had said 30 years ago, yes, Mm -hmm. we'll disarm, have done absolutely nothing. So the countries have met. They said we're going to get a treaty. on nuclear disarmament, we're going to isolate those people and we're going to uh, 
uh, proceed with nuclear disarmament, general nuclear disarmament worldwide. Mm. And they're meeting for another three weeks at the end of June and the beginning of July with the hope of a treaty coming out of it. So any and of interestingly, are, Australia, of course, is not there. Is not there you know. But are any of these countries... Oh, it's Christmas. Are any of these uh, countries actually got nuclear armaments, the 123 that signed up? Well, we'll see how it goes. Mm. Um, mm. Iran and North Korea have evinced interest. I'm not, absol- not absolutely sure whether they were at the first meeting, but mm-hmm. it's interesting that the ones who are said to be nuclear outlaws are actually the couple of countries out of the nuclear, probable or possible nuclear mm. countries, mm. that have said that they would want a treaty. So uh, Israel, of course, not, and no. the other major nuclear no. weapon states no. are not interested. But I think it's the beginning of the pressure coming on to them because with something like 15,000 nuclear weapons still targeted around the world. Uh, I mean, nuclear winter would make uh, global climate change look like a picnic. Yeah, well, it solved the overpopulation problem. Yeah, we might put a a finish to the sixth extinction. Exactly. Uh, But going back, so how long did you uh, last in Sydney? I was there for two years. Yeah. Yeah. I think Dale wants to ask you a question. Oh, yeah, yeah, well, I'm going to let Joe out. I think he needs to do what gentlemen need oh, to do Oh, crikey. Sometimes. Lack of continuity. So, so yeah, <laughs> actually, uh, what, what was Joe was just asking. Um, yeah, what, I had a couple of years in Sydney, yeah, that's right. Mm. Yeah, and what, what did you get up to there? Well, that was the anti-uranium campaign for the Australian Conservation Foundation. So that began my uh, real association with the ACF. Because that's a large, that's a large group, isn't it? They're, are they still around? Oh yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah, they own the 60 Leicester Street Green Building. These nice days, thing. it was gifted to them by the people who developed it. When was that? Oh, about five years ago. Oh, that's that's great. <laughs> so, what you've been there the whole time, or? Well, no, no, not really. Um, so, I was in Sydney originally. Um, that was in um, 84 and 85, and then the money ran out. So, um, but I'd been coming to meetings in Melbourne. I liked Melbourne. Melbourne was good. And was I'd there much happening down here um, to do with uh, oh, yes. nuclear disarmament? Yeah, more movement against uranium mining was big and was very active. And then in Sydney, uh, it was it was Victorian. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. So and no, there was um, nuclear disarmament party, and there was the campaign for nuclear disarmament was very uh, was very big time in Sydney. More than movement against uranium mining, although that existed as well. So okay. the the movement. Uh, for nuclear disarmament and against nuclear power was pretty vital everywhere, really. Mm. Um, and so in any event, I did that for a couple of years. The money ran out. And um, in the meantime, I discovered um, that Swinburne, where they, because we're on Glen Ferry Road, the headquarters, had a film, um, a graduate film program. So um, I put my hand up for... One of the one of the eight places in the um, wow. graduate diploma in film and TV in nineteen in nineteen eighty five, and um, what did that entail? Well, um, they got about two hundred and fifty um, applicants, and I made this little film with a guy who worked in the carpet store in in the rocks in Sydney next to me. I'd written a short story, and I, he was saying, "Oh, what am I going to do my final film program on?" You know, blah blah blah. So I said, I've got this short story here. I can make it into a script if you like. So we did that, and we went, and um, uh, three of us made a, made a movie for him to finish his 
his film studies in Sydney, mm. and um, I took that then and used it as my entree to the graduate diploma in film and TV and at Swinburne. In? Yeah, I got in. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And so how did that go? Well, what did it was a year. It was like hell on wheels, actually, but it was very interesting, intense, um, getting to grips with how you make movies. And I thought I'd go into the... You know, I thought I might find a spot in the movie business, particularly in documentary making. Sure. But it didn't really happen, so I sort of drifted back towards ACF. And I got a job there in the middle of 87. And the first thing they asked me to do was to find out whether um, or what the membership and the public mood was about genetic engineering technologies. Okay. Because I was always interested in new technologies like nuclear mm. Because I see that the consumerist society is really built around um, new technologies and the products that they produce, mm. you know, and that's they always create more problems than they solve. Mm. So, um, particularly environmental ones, but public health as well, you know. Mm. So that's kind of interested me. So I did this survey. I found yes, there's vital interest, and lo and behold, at the end of that year. Um, Midnight Oil said that they wanted to fund a project. Philip Toyne, who was then the director, was mates with Peter Garrett and the band. And um, so they funded us to start what became Gene Ethics for three years. Great. And that's how I became um, the founder and executive director of Gene Ethics 30 years later, wow. which is now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, for listeners who aren't aware, although 3CR listeners tend to be informed, just could you explain a little bit about Gene Ethics, the organisation? Well, we're a network of people, yeah. of yeah. individuals and groups. Um, we started in January 1988, so that was quite interesting with the Midnight Oil Money, mm. which was um, from their trust account for the proceeds from their... Uh, from their album Species Deceases. So that was quite apt, I thought, mm, too. And um, uh, Well, very early on, I got this call from Monsanto. We'd like you to come to a conference in Washington, D.C., and then come to our world headquarters in St. Louis, Missouri. Wow. Uh, because we think, you know, you'll like what we're doing. We're doing fantastic work, and genetic manipulation is going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread, and... Um, it'll be wonderful, you know. So, in fact, Monsanto funded my trip to the USA, first time I'd been in North America. Wow. Uh, in um, June, May and June of, um, of uh, 1988, which was good. So I went to the third special session on disarmament, which was on with Joe Valentine, which was on at the, uh, at the United Nations. And I went to the conference and slept through most of it because I didn't really know at that stage how to manage jet lag. <laughs> <laughs> that was a shocker. <laughs> yeah. And um, that was the first thing. Then I went to the conference uh, and there was a side thing with all the activists having their staff and Pete Seeger played at a concert. Wow. It, was, it was very exciting. But I also had the opportunity then to go round for the next month to all the people who had already become aware that genetic manipulation and genetic engineering technologies were going to be potentially changing any living organism and producing a lot of products and mm. uh, really being quite nasty, actually. Mm. So by the time I went to Monsanto, 
after five weeks, I was primed to ask <laughs> them questions as well as them showing me their um, bovine growth hormone herd that they were so proud of. Yeah, they were proud. Oh, they were doing great things and their plant breeding, etc. You know, their plant, plant genetic engineering. And uh, I came away, you know, really thoroughly convinced that uh, in my opposition to what they were planning, you know. Mm-hmm. So we've been protagonists ever since, which is quite interesting. <laughs> Did you well, an interesting reading. And the, uh, the other good, because Joe wants, to, and he's back here now, <laughs> wants to talk about personal things. That's so right. I, right. I decided I'd stop in San Francisco on the yeah. way back yes. uh, ah. for a look, you see. Yes. Why, you do you think I, why do you think I want to talk about personal things? I have no San idea. Francisco Maybe you know the story. No, no. Well. No. No. What happened? Well, I went on Bay Area Rapid Transit. Yes. I don't know if you know, Bart. Yes, yes Bart. Yes. And I was coming back from uh, a woman at public radio had said, oh, I'll show you around Berkeley. I don't like this. <laughs> and I was coming back on the, yeah. tra- on the train and I met my partner. Amazing. How old were you? I was 42 and she 42, was 36. 36. I think, or was I 30? She 38. No, she was 38 and I was 44. That's, that's, that's what, what it was. That's life, isn't it? Little turns, little turns, little accidents. Yeah, Yeah. we met on the station. We got on the train. We sat together. We went under the, through the tunnel over to San Francisco and discovered that we had an interest in movies Mm. together Mm. and so on. And Mm. yeah, the rest is history. History. Still together, hopefully. Still together. Excellent. Congratulations. That's a long time. (laughs) True love story. 30 30 years next January, I started... Gene Ethics, and then we got yeah, together in yeah. on June the 29th, yeah, that's good. 1988, 11 p.m. That, San Francisco time. That, ex- <laughs> that, that experience, that experience as a three-year-old held you in good stead. It took you a while, <laughs> held you in good stead. You're, oh, you're, well. you're a romantic, Joe. Well, I am. I am. Look, what we <laughs> like tro- your story about the the wh- what story did he tell about the flood in Brisbane? Uh, I'll uh, bring a photo one day. You watch. In bed with yeah. his partner of the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. And what had happened? He got out of bed <laughs> and got wet feet. And I was on the first floor. <laughs> it was terrible. I mean, you know, so she was right again. <laughs> I think she was right ending the relationship so, later on. So, but when, but getting back to you, when did you come to Melbourne? In the beginning of '86 to go 86. to film school. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's and I was right, still here. Yeah. We covered that while you were gone. Yeah, yeah, there wasn't a toilet break. I, went I was, to I was trying to save a life. To John mine. Street, and, and now so. Yeah. Did you make any more films after that original? I one? didn't, but my partner's a filmmaker, so we've been. You know, right. I've been helping her, really. Right, right. So she teaches mo- film, and right. she's made two very good movies, one about East Timor, mm. and more recently one about Iraqi music with an mm. Iraqi actor, and uh, he lives in Melbourne, which is still going, going the rounds. In fact, we're off to New Zealand shortly. She's got a showing of On the Banks of the Tigris, the hidden history of Iraqi music. We'll be in Auckland mm-hmm. uh, in June, and then she's going on to the States for four more showings, and I'm coming back. Have you got any um, still connections with New Zealand, any family connections? Oh, yes. My sister, who used to live in Melbourne, is back with her kids and grandkids in Auckland, so mm-hmm. we'll visit them while we're there. seems to be a common thread among New Zealanders. They tend to go back as they get older, I've noticed. I've got a few mm-hmm. New Zealand friends who've done that. Yeah, my sister did when she sort of finished up her teaching here. And, but my other sister is here permanently. Mm. She's married to a pom and lives down in Beaumara. Oh, commiserations <laughs> on both counts. <laughs> so, have you think, you think things have changed in Australia in the last few decades? Have you noticed any changes? 
changes in Australia. In, term, in terms of the people, I mean, uh, everybody says that there's been a culture shift in the last 30 to 40 years. We've become more consumerist, uh, more oh. self-centred, uh, more blaming the other for the problems we face. Do you find this disappointing? Yes, yes. It's, um, it's not been, some of the changes have not been for the, for the better, I agree. But multiculturalism, I think, has been a huge success. I think mm. it's, you know, the multicultural society is a wonderful thing, and I'm glad that that's happened. I mean, it's to be celebrated every day. Well, it is, it is, especially with all these forces trying to, you know, turn mm. the clock back. Now, as far as your own work is concerned, are you satisfied with what you've achieved? Well, I've taken a different view about it over the time. You know, you, you always, when you're young, you know, and uh, you think you're invincible, you know, you can be a world beater and so on. But in the end, we're all part of history and, you know, reading history, which at the moment I'm actually embroiled in reading Russian history. I don't know why I've done that. Just um, got on to some books that really have fascinated me greatly. Um, you see that we're all just playing our part in a way and trying to make things better and if we do that successfully Mm -hmm. and there are some good new ideas around I mean there's the global idea Mm -hmm. Um, now that we've got more than 20% of our youth in Australia unemployed and probably likely to remain unemployed um, the universal basic income time uh, idea where everybody is paid Mm -hmm. uh, a sustenance Mm -hmm just without doing anything, mm. I, think, I think that's coming. You realise uh, it's not an original idea? Oh, not an original at all, and in fact it's being tried out in a fair few places, and it's probably got a very long history, yeah, which I'm not the Romans, aware of. The Romans were very popular. You had the patricians, the plebeians, and that's oh, why yeah. you, had 300, you had 160, 170 public holidays, because you, <laughs> you had people who were poor but had the mm. vote. Yeah. Even in the dictatorship, they actually used to riot. So you had to keep them entertained. So they had subsidised housing, subsidised foods and circuses, a living wage. Uh-huh. And that's how they resolved their problem if they're disaffected. Yeah. It'll be the same. What so type I, think, of work we, you, what I t- think we need an agenda, in yeah. fact, for, mm. as well as that, though, to, to feed everybody, house everybody, clothe everybody, mm. educate and heal everybody. If we could just do those five things for everybody in the world... Mm that would generate so much action and activity and economics Mm. that it would be mind-blowing. But instead, we've got these rich bastards uh, hoovering up the world's wealth and monopolising it, and that's got to change. We need year zero for the corporations. Well, it will change. It will change. Yeah. Because it's inevitable. It has to change. It can't continue the way it's going. Now, going back to what you're doing, what are you doing at the minute? I'm sitting here talking to you. Apart from that. <laughs> Very good. Are you retired? Have you become a no, retired no. armchair activist not in the reading Russian history? No, not in the slightest. So what are you... Oh, I'm what running you, genetics. Yeah, what, do you, what does that entail? Well, it's um, lobbying, advocacy, campaigning, uh, media, ideas generation, policy development. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know... And we've got a lot of great collaborators. We meet every two weeks by phone link up and the campaign's on a roll. There's a whole raft of new genetic manipulation techniques which have been um, invented and developed over the last five years coming like a tidal wave. Mm-hmm. Tell us about uh, a few of the They ones think a new process. Well, they're calling uh, the uh, names of the techniques are not really that important. No, no, what they do. What CRISPR, they do. Mm-hmm. Talon and ZFN are the 
new ways of doing genetic manipulation. What are they doing? Well, they're trying to uh, create new organisms that never existed in nature before, um, find new ways of uh, creating industrial um, feedstocks as uh, oil, water mm. and land become scarcer. Mm. Um, change any organism that you can imagine, fish, mosquitoes, trees, uh, human beings. That's uh, right. You know, human they've got... designed for specific functions. Yes, that's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. You, think, you, so, think, you think this is all hubris and we're all going to... Hubris, work? absolutely. Yeah. And uh, we're, of course, in negotiation with the national regulator at the moment about exactly which ones, if any of these things, are going to be um, regulated because... We've got on one side CropLife, which is a global network of the agrochemical and genetic manipulation companies, big pharmaceutical companies, information companies are all there saying, we don't want any regulation on these things. You know, these are fantastic, cheap, safe, accurate, all the garbage that we were fed about genetic manipulation in the first place is now being repeated. Mm. And we're going to have this tidal wave of fantastic new things that are going That's to right. arrive, you know, yeah. in the consumer marketplace. Yeah. Kids are going to sprout wings and they won't need yeah. cars. Yeah. I can see it now. So we're, um, we're in discussions right. with the regulator and the federal government about what's going to happen about that. That's the hottest thing that we're doing at the moment. Is there room for uh, people to become involved in what you're doing? Oh, most definitely. And how do they do that? Yep. yep. Um, well, Facebook's where it's at, I guess, so they can start getting the drift of the um, of the issues on the Gene Ethics mm-hmm. Facebook page. How about your own particular organisation? Gene Ethics. Gene yeah. Ethics. Gene Ethics. Two words, Gene and Ethics, yep. Right. Look for us on Facebook. Then Friends of the Earth also have a, a new technology project, mm-hmm. which Lou Sales runs out of, out of Hobart. So she's one of our most um, intimate and regular um, collaborators. <coughs> And, um, you know, their Facebook page is a wealth of information as well. So go to Friends of the Earth New Technology right. Program. People can ring me up if they want, 1300 133 868. So 1300 133 868. Correct. And that's right. a local call fee from a landline because yeah. I live up in the Dandenong. So right. people shouldn't well, get balky about calling. Well, thank you for coming. I mean, it's a long way. Dandenong's at least 50 kilometres. Uh, 65. It is, 65. Is it? From where we live. Have you got a parting thought for, the, for our listeners? Kind of a, can you, can you summarise your life in 60 seconds? Never give up hope. Never give up hope. So on your fridge you've got that uh, <laughs> frog that's going to be swallowed by the stork who's got its hands around the stork's neck. You've seen that picture, haven't you? Yeah. I don't. No, I, I, never recall it. I don't recall it. But it, no, yes, it's, it's a classic. It's a classic. You've got a stork, yes. you've got a frog, It's going to be, mm-hmm. and it's got its hands around the... Sounds like a good meme. I'll look for it. We yeah. need more memes. Yeah, Things that, so. yeah. Images that yeah. encapsulate ideas. Yeah. That's where it's at at the moment is to tell the story, uh, excite people, motivate people to want the best through memes and ideas. People, unfortunately, got pretty short attention spans these days. So you can put on the Human Rights and Arts Film Festival, which we've been going to, um, and they've had good audiences, but, you know, documentaries, uh, you know, whereas on the Internet... The young ones, that's where they're at. 
Come and see us on Gene Ethics. Gene Ethics. Thank you very much, Mr. Bob. Or is it Dr. or Mr.? I keep Mr. Just Bob. Bob Phelps. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming all the way from the Dandenongs for a live interview. Thank you for putting up with me. Dale obviously asked the interesting Thanks, questions. Thanks, Joe and Dale. Yeah. And thank Good you very much. You. And if you've got anybody you. else who you think you'd like to see interviewed, we're always happy to talk to unusual people who are doing things. Unusual people unusual. who are doing things. Unusual. I don't it's know un- if I'd take that as polite or not. It's polite because <laughs> unusual people do things, usual people do nothing. Thank you once again, Bob. Thank you, Dale. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor, the rich get rich. That's how it goes. Everybody knows. Everybody knows that the boat is leaking. Everybody knows the captain lied. Everybody got this. Everybody talking to their pockets, everybody wants.